Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, June 2nd. I'm Mark Filipino, and this is your FT News Briefing. After several nights of unrest in cities across the United States, Donald Trump vowed to send soldiers onto the streets to quell the protests. Protesters are calling for justice following the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police. The scene outside the White House last night was striking. About 30 minutes before a 7 p.m. curfew in the U.S. Capitol, police fired tear gas and rubber bullets into a crowd of peaceful demonstrators in nearby Lafayette Park. Just a few hundred meters away, U.S. President Donald Trump appeared in the White House Rose Garden, where he claimed that largely peaceful protests across the country had been infiltrated by anarchists. He then threatened to send soldiers onto the streets to tackle what he referred to as domestic terror. If a city or state refuses to take the actions that are necessary to defend the life and property of their residents, then I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them. While the National Guard has been used to quell protests in the past, think the Baltimore protests in 2015 or Ferguson, Missouri in 2014, Trump's threat is different. He would be using something called the 1807 Insurrection Act, meant to suppress civil disorder. It was last invoked during the 1992 Los Angeles riots, which also stemmed from protests against police brutality. The FT's U.S. managing editor, Peter Spiegel, explains what America and the world witnessed on Monday. It was not only that we had fires and protests and police in many respects acting out and appropriately towards protesters. It was the breadth of it. It wasn't just Minnesota. It was New York. It was Los Angeles. It was Kentucky. It was also some of these cities that, that probably you know, the rest of the world hadn't heard of before, Rochester, New York, and, and, and places like that. These were in cities where you had a much broader cross-section, a much more diverse cross-section of people who were demonstrating. Most of them, and, and I would say probably in the reports we've been getting, you know, the high 90% were peaceful, but they were massive. And in some instances, they were violent, but the thing that impressed me most was the diversity of it. It was it was in a cross section of, of demographics, of, of race, of of socioeconomic areas, and so I think it was you know a pretty stunning picture that people woke up to to see such a huge cross section of America in such a huge cross section of cities, basically standing up to what they thought was wrong, which was something we haven't seen in in, in a long time. And Peter, of course, these protests were over police brutality, and in particular, the killing of George Floyd. He was a 46-year-old black man who died in police custody after an officer knelt on his neck for nearly nine minutes. How is that case progressing? So the interesting development most recently is that George Floyd's family had actually has hired a private autopsy that in many ways contradicts some of the findings of the official account, that it was not just the knee on the neck. There are other videos that have shown the other cops on top of him, you know, on his back and whatnot, and that that bit uh, also contributed to his death. So we this 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 move by the Minnesota authorities to go after the officer who kneeled on the um, on the neck. There is a much bigger movement to get the other three cops who are, are said to be complicit, even by Minnesota authorities, to charge them and bring them forward. So that's what people are watching. Whether they do actually charge the three other policemen, particularly after this this finding by the family's autopsy. And later on Monday, we learned that the county medical examiner office handling the case ruled Mr. Floyd's death a homicide. Um, Peter, one thing that is really striking to me 
is how coronavirus has played into this. For one, it has not stopped people from coming out to protest, which unfortunately has virologists worried about jumps and infections. But also, I noticed that the George Floyd protests are being treated much differently than the protests against the coronavirus lockdowns that happened just a few weeks ago and were held mostly by white demonstrators. Well, you raised, you touched on sort of two issues here. One is it's been a double whammy for the minority community, right? Because what we've seen in the data is those who have suffered the most from the pandemic, that where we've seen the highest death rates and the highest illness rates have been largely in communities of color. It's been Blacks, it's been Latinos in many cities like New York City, which is obviously the worst hit because they in general live in more densely populated areas. They're forced to take public transportation to get to work. And so we've seen a way over-indexed group of Blacks and Hispanics who have been affected by coronavirus. And then boom, we have this happening as well. So it's a bit of a double whammy. But you're right. There's also a real, a lot of authorities have really opened themselves up to criticism because they have allowed protesters, white protesters largely, against the lockdowns, showing up on you know the Michigan state capitol grounds with guns, with automatic weapons, walked into the state house without any police doing anything about it. And yet here we have largely peaceful protests without that kind of weaponry who are being, in some cases, really mistreated by the police. And so really is beginning to present a double standard in, in some of these jurisdictions and, and raising real questions uh, and that, again, these protesters are raising is why does one bit of the community get treated one way and, and another a different way? And it, it's going to continue, and it's going to continue to thrust itself on the political consciousness for months to come. And remember, in November, we have an election, and I think that's going to really impact You have this, this dual tragedy here, really. You have the, the tragedy of George Floyd and the, and, the, and the outrage it's provoked, combined with this pandemic response that is really going to turn November into an election like we've never seen before. And on Monday, we saw a different kind of protest, one from the employees at Facebook. For some background, last week, Twitter started placing fact-check notices on some of Donald Trump's tweets. The site put a warning on one tweet, and then it hit another one about the developing protests in Minneapolis because it glorified violence, according to Twitter. All the while, Facebook has left these messages up, much to the dismay of some employees at the company. They're upset with Chief Executive Mark Zuckerberg for refusing to take action over the posts. But Mr. Zuckerberg believes... This is the president, this is part of the political debate, and it's not his role to decide of what is and what is not a fact. That's our tech correspondent in San Francisco, Hannah Murphy. She covers social media for the FT. Facebook has some third-party fact-checkers that look at certain posts, but not at content or advertising that has been put up by politicians. So on Monday, employees expressed their frustration with the company's policies. Hannah, what did that look like? So I would say the response has been fairly unprecedented in that there's been this real groundswell of discontent publicly rather than in private, which is how sort of things have been said in the past. So you've had senior, very senior employees take to Twitter to complain and take a stand. Several have suggested they're staging so-called virtual walkouts, equivalent to a, a, a strike or a protest. Others are threatening to resign. Facebook just told me now, actually, that they will support employees who are working out and not require them to use their own sort of paid time off, as some of those employees had suggested would be the case. This is certainly different in that 
the Facebook employees appear to be organizing themselves and very much vocal. Is there any indication that because the reaction from employees was so unprecedented, that Facebook might change how it handles things like this in the future? So I think if Facebook were to change anything, it would more likely be the way the messaging around how it presents these sort of decisions rather than changing direction in policy terms. So I think that it's, it's very unlikely that Mark Zuckerberg will do anything apart from double down on this earlier decision. He's drawn this sort of line on free speech that he's said he's not prepared to cross. And what I do think is possible is that the the company will continue to try to distance itself further from the decision-making processes around these policies to avoid scrutiny. And what I mean by that is one example we have is the company has moving ahead currently with plans to set up an independent content moderation board, which effectively means it's outsourcing some of the most challenging decisions to third-party group that they've nominated. And these individuals will be able to make a call on some of the most controversial challenges to content. And that's where the buck stops. And that way, Zuckerberg and Facebook can say, you know what, we've handed over the the ultimate decision-making to third parties, so we're not responsible. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.